Thank you. So we are so proud of our elementary kids. So they raised $1,000 in just a couple months. So some of you know, you were like, yes, I'm aware because I've been paying kids to do jobs around my house because they were very excited about raising money and getting to pie Pastor Jeff in the face. So uh, we're so proud of them. We're trying to instill in them early a generous spirit and thinking about people around the world. And so we're so proud of our kids and and the money that they raised for BGMC. So today we are continuing on in the new series that we started here at Homestead. Last week we started a series called Cultivate, where we're going to be talking about relationships. We wanted to take some time and just talk about what does it mean to have healthy relationships? What does the Bible have to say about how we can cultivate healthy relationships in our lives? And we, I said this word last week about cultivate, that growing something beautiful and healthy, it takes effort and work and time. Would you agree? If you want to grow something beautiful and healthy, it takes effort, it takes work, and it takes time. And so how do I get my garden in the most healthy place to grow something significant? Which I'm sure all of you, how many of you were outside yesterday? How many of you were digging in? Yes, because it was the first nice day in 17 years. So we were all outside yesterday. But how did you do that? You were cultivating, right? You were tending to the things that were messy. You were cleaning up the dead stuff. You were making sure that there was the right nutrients and the right fertilizer and you were tending to things you were cultivating something you were paying attention to what it needs and then investing the time and effort to create an environment where something can grow and be healthy and so that's what we're talking about in relationships we want to cultivate the relationships in our lives and create environments where they can grow and thrive and be healthy and so today I want to talk to you about another aspect of cultivating and that is the word flourish We're going to talk about flourishing today, and it's really found from one of my favorite verses. In Psalm 92, 12 through 14, it says, But the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit, and they will remain vital and green. This is a scripture that I pray over my life all the time. God, I want to remain vital and green and healthy, even in old age. Even as I get older, I don't want it to ever be like, wow, I really produced a lot of fruit when I was younger, but now I'm just kind of riding out the clock, right? I want to be main, remain vital and green and healthy and producing fruit my whole life, flourishing in the courts of God. And so I love that word, flourish, and we're going to talk about that today. So the definition of the word flourish is this, to grow or develop in a healthy or vigorous way, especially as the result of a particularly favorable environment. When something is flourishing, it means that it is growing. It is thriving. It is in a healthy environment. It is growing luxuriantly. It's prospering. Even you could say it's a flourishing business. It's something that is doing well and growing and thriving. So I want to play a little game with us today. We're gonna, I'm going to show you some pictures. This game is called Flourishing or Not Flourishing. Okay. So I'm going to show you a picture. You tell me if it's flourishing or not flourishing. All right, first picture. Flourish. Good job, everybody. Well done. Okay, next picture. Not flourishing. That totally looks like my garden right now. 100% looks looks like your garden. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not anymore. Maybe you worked on it yesterday. Okay, next picture. Flourishing or not flourishing? Good job. Next picture. Yeah. 
can, I know there's still a couple of tomatoes on there. Oh, okay. My dog would eat those. Okay. Next one. Flourishing or not? Flourishing. Yes. Next picture. Yeah. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Right? I love that. And I love the contrast because the last picture, the mom has milk in a pitcher and she's pouring it in. The, like, like, who's going to put milk in a pitcher? to then pour into your kid's glass like, like you were that fancy, right? This is a much more realistic view. So happy Mother's Day. I just wanted to throw that out there today. As we continue to talk today, I want to talk about this idea about the people in our life. Asking the question, are the people in my life flourishing? Asking ourselves that. As we continue to talk about how we can cultivate our relationships to be healthy and beautiful, I want to talk about what it means to help the people in your life to flourish. How we can come alongside the people in our lives to encourage and support them, to help create environments where they are thriving and growing. How to really see the people in your world and help them become all that God has planned for them to be. Psalm 92 talked about that person, a person who is flourishing. It says they're vital and green and producing fruit. It's someone who has deep roots that are drawing up nutrients. A person who is healthy and vibrant and alive and growing. So the question I want to ask you today, are the people in your life flourishing? Is your wife flourishing? Is your husband flourishing? Are your kids flourishing, your friends, your family members, your mother, your sisters? Are the people in your life flourishing? That is the question that we're asking today. Because we have a responsibility to be aware and engaged at the level of flourishing of the people in our lives. We have a responsibility to be aware and engaged of the level of flourishing of the people in our lives. Now, I want you to notice my word choice there, aware and engaged, because I am not responsible to make choices for you, and I am not responsible for the healthy or unhealthy choices that you make for yourself, and I'm not responsible to everyone in the whole world, which sometimes I have to remind myself. I'm not responsible for everybody's flourishing in the world, but for the people that God has brought close into my life, the people in my world, the people that I am in relationship with, part of my responsibility to them is to be aware and engaged at how they're doing. We got to be checking in on our people and asking ourselves, are they flourishing? Are they thriving? I say that today because some of you are completely disengaged from the fact that maybe your spouse is not flourishing. Maybe your spouse is really hurting or sad or feeling very unfulfilled. Or maybe you are aware of it, but you're not actively engaged in helping them figure out how they can begin to flourish. Some of you might know that there's something going on with your kids. You can sense it. You know it. You can tell they're not flourishing. They're missing something. But because you aren't sure what to do, you're just kind of stepping around it and ignoring it and just kind of like trying to trying to step it out, step around the issue instead of getting in there and figuring out what's going on. And some of us, we are simply just doing our own thing. And we've forgotten that a part of being in a relationship is looking around to make sure your people are flourishing, to make sure that they are healthy and thriving. 
If you're in a relationship with someone, part of how we show up for one another is to help keep our eye on how each other are doing, to do what we can to encourage them, to make sure that there's room in their life for them to do the things that make them come alive, and to create an environment where they can grow and flourish. So first, I want you to think about environments that do not encourage flourishing, right? So think back to that picture of the dead garden, right? Those gardens were dead for a reason. They were dead because the environment around them was not conducive to anything growing, right? The conditions caused the plants to wither and die. It was too cold. There wasn't enough sun. There were things going on, right? If I just went out to my garden in January and just threw a bunch of seeds out there, is anything going to grow? No. Why? Because the conditions are not right for something to grow. And so sometimes in our relationships, there can be places where the environments are not encouraging things to be healthy and grow. And I want to share just three real quick. The first we talked about last week, a critical environment. A critical environment will not help things to grow. We talked about it last week because critical environment where there's constant negativity back and forth causes people to shrink back instead of growing. When the feedback is continually negative, people are less likely to try new things, to step out of their comfort zone and be open and vulnerable with the things that are going on in their life that would cause them to flourish. So a critical environment is not conducive to things growing. The second is a busy environment. I think for a lot of us, it's not that we don't care how fulfilled our spouse or our kids or our friends are. It's just that we're so busy, we forget to pay attention to what the environment is like, right? Would you agree? So for a lot of us, we just put our heads down, we feed the baby, we take the kids to school, we go to work, we wake up, we go to practice, we, and we are, you go to bed and wake up, and we get into the routine of life, and sometimes we just forget to check in with our people. And we're just checking off all the things we need to do, and we forget to look and say, how are they really doing, right? We call those seasons co-camp counselor at our house when you're just like, or ships passing in the night. Like, you go do that. You take that kid there, right? We all know what that's like. And sometimes we just get into that routine, and you remember, it's been a while since I've actually just stopped and looked you in the eye like, hi, how you doing? What's going on? Are you guys okay, right? And the last thing that will totally squash flourishing in your relationships is a selfish environment. This one will get you. When you become consumed with your own world, we can sometimes forget that we need to be there for the people in our world. Our staff is reading The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Paul Scazzaro, and we were reading a chapter last week about relationships, and I underlined something, and it just struck me so profound, and it's actually really simple, but it seemed so profound to me. He said, if you're married, it's no longer an option for you to live as if you're single. That seems like such an easy thing, but think about it. Think about how many people get married, and then they just simply just keep living as if they're an island unto themselves. They're not thinking about how their behavior is affecting the unit of a family. And so it's important. We have to always be thinking about how our behavior is affecting those around us and operate as a unit Philippians 2.3 tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Many times, sometimes we just get focused on ourselves and the things going on, 
And those around us just feel like they're not a part of the equation at all. And they begin to feel visible, invisible and unseen. So I'm going to speak to the couples here for a moment. It's Mother's Day, so I'm going to start. Guys, I'm going to talk to you for just a second. First of all, I want you to think about this. Some of your wives are not flourishing. Some of your wives are not flourishing. They're exhausted and overwhelmed, and they feel really unseen and alone. And I want to encourage you this week to take some time and go for a walk, sit down on the couch after the kids go to bed, and ask your wife how she's really doing. Ask her how she's really doing. Ask her what is filling her life with joy right now. Ask her what's fulfilling her right now. Tell her what you see her doing every day to love and support your family. Remind her of the things that you love about her. And ask her what she's dreaming about for the future. Asking her what's ahead, not just what she has to do today, but what's ahead for you? Where do you see yourself? You will be amazed at what will happen when you take the time to acknowledge and really see your wife. Jeff was always so good about this when our kids were little. He would kind of be watching, and finally he would say, you know, you seem really tired. Or you, you've been real, the kids haven't been sleeping much. You should call your friends. You should go out. You should get away for a couple days. And I always had enormous mom guilt. So I was just like, oh, no. Maybe it's martyrdom. I don't know if it was mom guilt or martyrdom. Oh, no, I'll just keep caring for everyone. But he always was like, no, you need to go. It's okay. Go. Go do something. And you know what? The time away was always great. But the thing that made the difference was that he saw me. The fact that he was watching and he noticed that I was starting to redline and that I was feeling tired and overwhelmed. The fact that he noticed and then he did something to try and help me to f get back to feeling healthy again. So I want you to take the time this week to talk to your wives about how they're really doing. And even though it's Mother's Day, we're going to talk to the wives here for a second too. Because the same thing goes for you. Some of your husbands are miserable. Not with you. Just miserable. Maybe they are miserable for you. I don't know. <laughs> it's Mother's Day. It's fine. We can say whatever we want. But some of your husbands, they might really hate their jobs. The job they had when they were 18 that they loved, that now when they're getting close to 40, they're like, I don't like doing this anymore. And they don't know how to bring it up to you. And they don't know how to talk about it. Or they feel like they've lost a sense of who they are. They aren't feeling inspired or passionate about anything. And they don't know how to tell you because they just want to help keep the family unit running. Or they feel the responsibility to care for your family. Or maybe they don't know what the next steps are and they just feel a little lost about it. Wives, I want you to take the time this week to sit down with your husband and ask him, where do you see yourself in five years? Do you still love what you're doing? Do you still love your job? Do you want to do something new? Are you, is there something that you want to add to your life that would make you happy? What, what are we doing next? What's in the next five years? And have those conversations. Jeff and I have shared a lot about, about 10 years ago when we decided to uh, leave his current job. He'd been a worship leader for about 15 years, and we knew there was something on the horizon. And we've shared with you a lot about what it was like for us to take a step of faith to plant this church. But we haven't shared a lot about what that was like in our marriage. 
Because that was a really challenging season because he really was feeling that, that angsty feeling of he knew that something new was on the horizon, and yet we weren't quite sure of it yet, and so he had resigned his job, and we were kind of in between, and this might come surprising to you, but we kind of process things at a different rate of speed. <laughs> and Mr. Kerr is kind of a slow processor, and so I'd say, okay, well, what's next? What are we doing next? He's like, I don't know. I'm just praying about it, seeking the Lord. And I'm like, could you seek him a little faster? Like, figure out what you want to do? And really, it took him a long time to kind of process and think about what he wanted to do. And it became a point of contention in our marriage. And I will say this, I did not handle it well. I did not handle it well. Looking back, I wish that I had handled it differently because I found myself getting more frustrated of like, can you just figure out what you're doing? Can we just get on with this? And I did not recognize what a big thing that was for him to try and figure out what he wanted to do with the next season of his life and his work and his ministry. And I remember kind of getting on his case a lot about like, could we just figure this out already? And I don't think I've ever had as strong of a rebuke from the Lord as I had during that season. I woke up one morning and I was praying and I remember God saying, you are acting just like Job's wife. Now, if you don't know who Job's wife is in the Bible, that's a terrible thing to feel like God is pointing out to you because when Job had all this bad stuff happen to him and he's going through all this terrible stuff and Job is trying to remain steadfast and honor God, his wife looks at him and says, why are you trusting in God? You should curse God and die. That was her advice. So I was like, that's terrible, Job's wife. But I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. Your husband is trying to seek what I have for him. And you are making it harder on him. He's trying to honor me. He's trying to figure out what I have next for him. And he cares about taking good care of your family. And you have the power to pull him right back. You have the power to either encourage him to what God has next or pull him back to where you're comfortable. And it was a huge wake-up call for me. And from that moment on, I had to go and apologize and say, I have just, I've blown this one. I just didn't anticipate this being hard for you because I'm like, when I'm ready to move to the next thing, I just do it. It was like, okay, what's next? It's fine. I did not anticipate what a challenge that was for him. And I had to stop and say, okay, we're starting over here. Whatever God has we're with you. Here's what I see in you. I believe in what God has next for you. If that means packing up our family and going, we're with you. We're going to do this. We believe, I believe God has got something profound he's going to tell you. And until he's ready, we're just going to keep praying. And I had to really change my focus. I say that to say sometimes it's really hard to get there. And when you move at different speeds, sometimes it can become a point of contention. But make sure you're taking the time to support one another, saying, hey, I'm with you, we're going to figure it out together, is really important for your husbands to hear. So we need to be aware of our interactions and making sure that the environments we're creating are not detrimental to flourishing. It's extremely important. But even more so, creating the conditions that encourage Flourishing is vital to helping the people in your world grow and be healthy. So how do we do that? Well, I have a scripture today that we're going to unpack, and it's going to give us three steps of how we can do this. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and it says this. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. 
That word encourage there is a really cool Greek word that I'm going to teach you a new word today. And it is the Greek word parakaleo. Everybody say parakaleo. Fabulous. You're speaking Greek now. That word means encourage in this verse, but it's actually a really phenomenal word in the original Greek. First of all, it's a verb. Okay, so let's start with that. What do verbs mean? Action. Mrs. Hager, did we get right? Okay. <laughs> verbs are action, right? A verb means you have to do something. So encouraging someone means action. You can't encourage someone in your head. Okay? So a lot of times we're thinking, we're thinking nice things about people, but we don't actually do anything about it. So first I want you to remember that all the things we're going to talk about in encouraging one another require action on our part, okay? So it's a verb, and it means to call to, to exhort, or to encourage. It's a compound word that combines really two important ideas, and you see this a lot in Greek and Hebrew. They combine two parts of words, and when you put them together, it kind of just makes the whole thing explode in this really cool way. So para, the first part of the word, means close beside, so if something's para, it means it's really close. Um, the word for the Holy Spirit is paraclete, which means close advocate or close comforter. So anytime you see para, that means close. So parakaleo means close, and kaleo, kaleo means to call. So properly, it means to make a call from being up close. And when we combine all of the nuances of these words, it is combining the ideas of exhorting, comforting, and encouraging. So if you think about it for a second, Paul is telling us to parakaleo each other, to stay close to one another, to comfort one another, and to encourage one another. So let's unpack that a little bit. How does that look? First part of it is to stay close, para, to stay engaged. That means that you are close enough that you know what your spouse or your kid or your friend is going through. So you make an effort to spend time together, right? And not just like in the same house. This is funny. Yesterday we were at home and we were all working in the house in the yard. And then last night we were playing a game with friends. And I, I saw Jeff and I'm like, man, I feel like I haven't seen you all day. And he was like, we were together all day. And I was like, we were in the same house all day. That does not count. Anybody like that in your house? Like, he's like, I was here all day. Thank you, Gina, right? <laughs> that doesn't count, right? So being close means you're actually engaged. You're communicating. You're talking. And not just talking about who's driving the carpool tomorrow or who's going to make dinner tonight. Not just the logistics, but close means that you're actually talking. You're communicating. You're staying up close so that the people in your life, you know what's going on inside of them. So if you would say that you're not up close with the people in your world right now, you need to take action to engage with them. Like I said, sit down and have a conversation of what's really going on. So parakaleo means close. The second thing means comfort. So it means to speak to the places where the person in your life is feeling weak and vulnerable. So when your people, when you get up close and you find out what's going on in their heart and in their life, you first have to take time to comfort. Now, this is really important because the third thing we're going to talk about is to call, and that means to speak encouragement, to say what's next. So this is important because sometimes we do the up close, we find out what they're thinking and feeling and struggling with, and we jump right to call, and we forget in the middle is comfort, right? 
So instead of just saying, well, here's your solution, you need to take the time to acknowledge, hey, that sounds hard. Hey, that's difficult. So this is a really important thing to remember. You need all three of the C's to encourage someone. So you're up close, you hear what's going on, and then you stop and you say, I'm so sorry. That sounds really hard. That's challenging. I think you're doing a good job. It's going to be okay, right? Now, sometimes that can be hard, right? Um, we have a saying at our house that um, this isn't, might shock you again. I have tend to have big feelings, a lot of big feelings and big emotions. And sometimes Jeff will come in the room and he'll see my big feelings and big emotions, and I'll, he'll just slowly start to back <laughs> out of the room like... I, I'm going to try and avoid this. And so I've started to say to him, like, I need you to not back out of the room right now. And he's like, okay, like he's going to put on his gear and come on in, right? But this is important because sometimes we don't know what to do with big feelings. Sometimes we don't know what to do with little feelings, right? Depending on the kind of environment you grew up with, you're like, I just don't know what to do when somebody says that they're upset or they're feeling unfulfilled or they're sad or whatever. I don't really know what to do. That's okay. But stay in the room. And just comfort them. Here's a few things you can do. You can say, I'm sorry. You can say, I think you're doing a good job. You can grab their hand. You can give them a hug. Sometimes Jeff doesn't know what to do, and he does a little bit of this, like, they're there. Because sometimes he's just like, this feels like a trap. I'm just trying to get out of here unscathed, right? But don't miss the comfort piece. Here's another thing you can do. Just look him in the eye and say, I see you. I see you. Hey, I got you. I got you, it's gonna be okay, right? Don't miss the comfort place. So we get close, we keep in communication of what's going on, we comfort, and then the last part is to call, right? In parakaleo, the kaleo part means to call, to call out, to say the things that you see. This is the part of encouragement that we use the words to then speak what we see and encourage and lift them up. We tell them what we see in them. We call out the things God has put in them, and then we remind them of who God has created them to be. We help them envision the future and that there are good things ahead for them. Encouraging someone is simply taking the time to notice what they're doing well and then tell them, right? So how do we create environments where our people can flourish? I want you to remember these three things this week. Paracaleo, close, comfort, call. Get close, have a conversation, emotionally be there, comfort the people in your life, and call. Say what you see, encourage them, speak out those words. Listen, we have to keep our heads up here, folks. We can put our heads down and just go through our lives and just keep going through things day to day to day. And we're not realizing that the people in our world, in our life, in our relationships are struggling, whether it's our kid or our friend. I just had to do this with a friend a couple weeks ago. I sat in their car and go, are you okay? What's going on? And she said, thank you for noticing. Right? We have to do this in all of our relationships. How are you doing? We can't miss out on this. God has called each of us every day to live an abundant, full life on mission with what he has called us to do. He gives us a mission, and then we walk it out here on this earth, and yet we're not supposed to do it alone. God gives us community and relationships to help us stay strong on this very long journey of walking out our God-given potential in a very difficult and heartbreaking world. We got to be there for our people.
So as we close today, I want to share one final verse with you that is a really important word picture for me when I think about this topic. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 5, and this is the portion of scripture where Paul is talking about how we can love and serve one another, to be subject to one another, to prefer each other. And I want to read to you from verses 25 through 27 where Paul is specifically addressing husbands. And he says this, For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Because see, at the end of our lives, we all will stand before God and we have to give an account for ourselves personally, how we lived our lives, whether we lived a life surrendered to Jesus, we will give an account to God. But Paul is giving us another picture here. He is giving us a picture of presenting our spouse to God as a gift, similar to how Jesus loved the church. He's saying he gave up his life for her and he loved her. And so he did that so that he could present her to God and say, look at, look at this beautiful church. Look at her. Look at all that she accomplished. Look at all that she did. He is painting the picture of a husband loving his wife so beautifully that he leveraged himself so that she was able to do every single thing that God had planned for her to do. She was able to become the person that God designed her to be because of the way her husband loved her and served her and thought about her and gave up his life for her. It's a picture of someone getting to heaven and saying, God, not only did I serve you with my own life, but I did everything I could to make sure that my, my spouse and my kids and my friends also could serve you with everything in them. I leveraged myself. I laid down my life so that I could make sure that they were doing that. And listen, I get really emotional when I talk about this because my husband has done this so well for me. Anytime I've come to him and said, man, I feel like God has put something on my heart to do. He has said, all right, what do we have to do to make it happen? He has leveraged himself, whether that meant taking over something at home so I had more margin or finding the finances so that I could go back to school or whatever it was. I don't take it lightly that my call is so important to him that when I say God is asking me to do something, he takes that on as now his personal mission to make sure I can do it. And I'm eternally grateful for that. And I hope I do the same for him. If he could ever make a decision, I would be just fine. <laughs> and just kidding. Listen, this isn't just husbands and wives. Leverage yourself for the people in your world. Do everything they can. If your friend says, man, God is challenging me to do something, you say, okay, what are we doing? What are we doing? What do I got to do? Do I got to pick your kids up so that you can go to a class? If it's your kids, like, man, God's putting this on my heart. Okay, what do we got to do? You need lessons? You need a class? Do you need something? We leverage ourselves to see the people in our life flourish. 
flourishing, doing everything that God. If you think about a seed, that God has put a seed inside all of your people. And your job is to do everything you can to see that seed blossom as big and as full as it could be and produce the most amount of fruit. You don't have to do it for the whole world, but you've got a little circle of people that your job is to watch that seed and to make sure that they flourish. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray today. God, we thank you so much for the gift of people in our lives. Lord, for the gift of a spouse, for the gift of really good friends, for the gift of our children, for the gift of our sisters and our brothers and the gift of our mothers. God, people in our lives that you have given to us to help us grow and flourish and thrive. And Father, we recognize that every good thing in our life has come from your hand. And so we recognize today that the people you have brought into our lives that encourage us, that support us, that come up close, ask us how we're doing, leverage themselves to help us fulfill everything you've put on our hearts. God, that's a gift, and we want to say thank you. And so, Lord, because we're so grateful for that gift, we want to take really good care of it. So I pray that you help each of us this week to take the time to engage and be aware with every relationship in our life. Lord, for those that are struggling this week, I pray you give them the courage to speak up, the courage to begin to articulate the things that are going on inside of them, the places that they're needing some support and encouragement. And Lord, for the rest of us on the other side, I pray that we would have the wisdom and the courage to know how to love and support the people in our lives. Lord, you want to encourage one another, just like your word tells us to do. So thank you. I pray a blessing today on every person in this place and their families. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, we're going to have prayer teams up front to pray with you. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a great week.